Well, hi, everybody. This is obviously different from the normal intro that we do because I had to make a change to the way this episode went out. This was originally going to be a entire James Bond episode where we counted down from the 26th ranked Bond to the number one Bond in the series. The problem was is after my guest Donald and I finished talking about each Bond specifically and things we liked about the character and specific parts about the movies that we enjoyed and really got through the entirety of the worst to best rankings, the episode ended up being three hours long. Normally, I can edit these to be a little bit shorter, and I can usually take out about you know 30 minutes or so, but this was an impossible task. So what I've decided to do is I've decided to make this a two-part episode. The first part will be Donald and I discussing the differences in each bond, uh, a fan theory that we really like that we want to talk about, and then we'll be going through 26 to number 13. Uh, that is where part one is going to end. Uh, we do kind of run through those movies briefly because we originally planned it to be the full episode where we talked about every Bond movie. So um, I apologize if we don't get to your favorite Bond movie or we don't go in depth with your favorite Bond movie. There are 26 of them. And after a while, they started to blend together a little bit. You kind of hear us stumble on specific parts um, from each of them that we kind of attributed to different movies. I do apologize there. I Hopefully you enjoy this episode. It is a really fun one. I love James Bond. I love the character and I love most of the series. Uh, so this was one that I was really excited for as this is my birthday week. And so I wanted to pick an episode that I could really, you know, get into and enjoy. So I'm not going to be here too long to let you know the specifics. I will say one correction is that out of the four VHSs that I owned as a child, we did not own From Russia With Love. We owned The Spy Who Loved Me, which in my head, when I was talking to Donald, I confused the Russian spy in that with Russia, and there you go. So um, that's a small little update that I needed to make clear because we did not have that movie. Uh, but anywho, without further ado, it is time for your feature presentation. Welcome to Direct Audio, a movie discussions podcast. My name is Spencer, and across the table from me is Don. Hi. And today, we are going to actually be unpacking a very big episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a big one. It's my birthday week. Usually people give themselves like breaks. Uh, Don and I decided that we wanted to work like triple hard. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a quite a ordeal. Yes, we decided to cover the entire James Bond franchise, including the two kind of non-canon films, uh, and we will be discussing them from worst ranked movie to best ranked movie. Per usual, like I normally do, where it's the average review score of six um, review scores per movie. The IMDb score, Rotten Tomatoes critic score, Rotten Tomatoes fan score, Metacritic critic score, Metacritic fan score, and Google liked reviews. So I do the math on that, and we've ranked them from worst Bond movie, which if you know the Bond franchise, you and I kind of feel the same way about what our favorite Bond movies are. I think you and I both kind of feel similarly about the character. Yeah, I think we're mostly on the same page, finding the right movies and the right character and what we kind of expected from them and how it was portrayed in the movies. Yeah, and I mean, I can tell you right now, we went through and watched, uh, I will say most of the 26. There were a couple that we both kind of 
skipped over if we'd either a seen it enough or b just we weren't going to get it uh don got a little luckier than i did uh because you got them for free mostly i did i did they were on amazon prime i'm guessing it was in celebration of sean connery Mm -hmm. after his passing they had i believe it was virtually every single bond movie oh it was on prime until january 1st mm-hmm. and uh that was when i was gonna decide to start watching them which was the month of january and don texted me and said that uh yeah they're off of prime so i got the luxury to buy the deluxe box set um and drop a pretty penny on that which has been fun um and i wanted to get it anyways yeah i uh, think you're really the one that made out better on that one because you can go back now, if I wanted to go back and watch one, now I got to spend $4. Yeah, that is true. Um, when you grow with the character from the first Bond movie all the way to the newer ones, you kind of get an idea of you know what characteristics you like of Bond, uh, what you want your Bond to act like, uh, which sounds really pretentious that I want this character to do something. But I mean, everybody has that with a character where they kind of see certain traits that they like or don't like that obviously makes you fall in love with the character. And I think that's one of the things where you start to see why people like certain bonds. Yeah. Because all of them are different. And it's insane that this has been 26 movies deep. It's the fourth highest grossing film franchise of all time with $14 billion grossed. If you guys aren't aware, James Bond is a 20... Technically, it's a 24-film franchise. There are two films that were made not underneath uh, the Eon kind of canon which is there's a company called eon who produced 24 bond films except for two which were there was a 1967 version of casino royale which yep uh (laughs) it was uh, actually a parody it starred uh uh, david niven woody allen and peter sellers and then there was sean connery's uh return to the role never say never again in the 80s in 1983 those are actually not james bond canon there was also a 1954 or 55 television special that was adapted to kind of VHS release. But there are 24 canon films, soon to be 25, with No Time to Die, if that ever comes out. Because it's been delayed so many times. But a lot of people don't know that the character was originally created by Ian Fleming, an author, in 1953. Uh, it had 14 novels written by Fleming. Uh, a lot of other short stories that were penned by him. Uh, and then a lot of other authors as well who made continuations of the Bond story, either with short stories or actual novels. There were 13 video games. So it is obviously one of the most iconic and well-spoofed. And also, I, I want to say, like, you know, paid homage to in, like, the most ways. I feel like the entire spy espionage genre really took its kind of focus from James Bond in, like, those first four. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you talk about just... The swagger that James Bond put forth, you know, in Sean Connery's portrayal of it in particular, so many people and actors and series and writers and everybody picked little things that I think you didn't really see, especially in movie media before James Bond. I think, I mean, a lot of the typical kind of spy traits or agent traits of like, I mean, you think of like Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. Jack Ryan. Um, Jack Ryan. Yep. Kind of same thing yep. where they all kind of take little notes. I know The Man from Uncle, that entire series and show, mm-hmm. really took a lot from James Bond. And this series had its ups and downs. 
Yeah, that's for sure. As much as it innovated the genre, it also kind of dried it out for a long period. Yeah. And as we said, 26 movies that we'll be covering, Bond has been portrayed by seven different actors, all with very differentiating portrayals of how 007 is portrayed. Um, you know, typically, I mean, if we were to kind of describe the basics of Bond, what are some traits that kind of all the Bonds share? Confidence or egoness has mm-hmm. got to be number one. Yeah, he has, has that arrogance. He has that ego, bravado. Yep. He is never afraid to just throw himself into a situation. You watch some of the different scenes in some of the movies and you just see the look on his face, the way he carries everything. It can be a high action scene. He looks the same as if he's walking down the street. There's just that confidence, the ego. And there's a few movies that call him out on the ego part of it, which is, I think, adds to that. Yeah, I think when they start to kind of analyze the character as a person in a lot of them, it really starts to... Those are the ones I think I find interesting. Yeah. I know that uh, in Goldeneye, the new Emma, which is Judy Dench at the time, um, I mean, she calls him out as like an uh, archaic womanizer and mm-hmm. sexist pig. Almost. I can't think of the wording exactly, but... She kind of calls him out, which I think is another kind of either, I don't know if it's a positive characteristic or not anymore. I know it's kind of been dropped in the more recent films, but his kind of womanizing and he's definitely like the stereotypical man and it's it's it's, it's kind of an archaic ideal. Well, I think it, it, it kind of depends and we talked about this before too. I think it depends on the time. When you look at the movies and you go back to like the Sean Connery movies, we're talking 60s, right? We're talking a time when that was what it was considered to be, a man. Mm -hmm. Then you jump forward and you go into the 80s, even or rather even to the 70s with the Roger Moores, and the character is different, but he fits the time. And then if you jump all the way forward and you come to Daniel Craig, and, you know, we're talking 2000s, the portrayal is completely different when it comes to how he approaches women. I noticed recently that if you looked at the previous ones, you looked at Sean Connery, you looked at all the other ones and the older ones, they were very much the women were there to be used and tossed aside as needed. Mm-hmm. That just kind of seemed how it was. If if you needed information from a woman, you got her into bed. Yeah, it was that all the Bond girls that have been also another characteristic or trait of the films there's always one girl. And I think kind of midway through Roger Moore's tenures when they really started to kind of make them actual characters. I know Octopussy's one. I know the name of the movie is kind of funny, but she's a really big character. She has a really big role. Yeah. Yeah. She That's a huge leading role for a woman in a series of movies that the leading roles have mostly been men. Yeah. Even the villains and all of them as well. And that's kind of where also you see A View to a Kill where Grace Jones comes in as like the you know, henchman or henchwoman for mm-hmm. Christopher Walken's character. So it does kind of grow with the times, as you said. Then you have, you know, a lot of gadgetry. Typically, when you're looking at James Bond, you think of the spy gadgets. You think of the car, the Ashton Martin. Uh, you think of the watch that always has something along with it. Uh, there's some goofy extra gadget that he gets from Q Branch, mm-hmm. uh, which Q is my favorite Bond character. I'm going to say it right now. Desmond Llewellyn <laughs> is the best. Um and you, you, you kind of see that nowadays in more spy movies and action movies, uh, but it really was originated in James Bond there. I think the, the thing I like about Bond versus what some of the other ones do with the gadgets is that they don't 
overdo them. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of the series you talk about Mission Impossible. It's not a scene if there's not a gadget. I mean, they have ones where like you can print a new face and put it on your face. It's right. Just, yeah. Everything gets to be, and, and that's not to say some of the Bond ones weren't ridiculous. Oh yeah, there's a th- you know, there's a jetpack in Thunderball. Yeah, ejector seats, which is one of the coolest features I think oh, in I love any that. of the Bond movies is, and I love how they play into that later in the series too. The ejector seat in the Aston Martin, push the button and the guy flies out of the passenger seat, so completely iconic and kind of out there. But not as far as some of the other things have taken it. I want to say real quick, my favorite use of the ejector seat is when the car is upside down and he used the ejector seat to flip to the flip car. To flip it over. Back. Yeah. yeah. A little fun tidbit. And uh, every Bond movie I will say I have a fun fact just because all these movies, there's 26 of them. There's always some random piece of information that's kind of fun. Desmond Llewellyn, Q, his favorite gadget is the ring that he has in uh, Diamonds Are Forever that uh, makes the uh, slot machines pay out. He said if you could have oh, any bond, yeah. he said if you could have any bond gadget, he would want that. Here's what I will say: I want to tell the listener right now, if we mix up certain tidbits of information from Bond movies, we have watched at least twenty movies in the past. I mean, I, for me, I've watched twenty movies in the past week and a half. Don has also watched all of them. After a while, they all kind of blend together. Mm-hmm. So I apologize if there's a note or a beat that we say is in one film, it's actually another. Just know that once you start watching the same characters and the same stuff for 20 movies, it all kind of starts to fade. So I do apologize. Well, that it gets pulled from one movie to another movie so often. There's so many things that go back and forth. It's it's used in one and then it comes up again in another and another, especially when you get to the Daniel Craig movies, mm-hmm. and they want to pay homage to what was in the past. Like, they bring back the DB5 and the ejector seat. They bring back the jetpack. The jetpack makes an appearance mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it's Spectre, when they have lost MI6 headquarters and they go to the backup. Here, here's the storage, house, storage area with all the gadgets. Yeah. And all the different vehicles and all the different little things that they could stuff into this room mm-hmm. to kind of pay homage to some of the old movies. So it, it's all going to run together. Yeah. As we've said, there are seven Bonds. I'm going to do a brief rundown of all of them. We have Sean Connery, first portrayed Bond in Dr. No and last portrayed him in Never Say Never Again. Uh, his official Eon produced last film was Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, and he was in seven Bond movies overall, uh, but six that are officially in the canon. Fleming originally did not want him, the author of the James Bond novel, saying, he's not what I envisioned for the character, and I was looking for a commander Bond, not an overgrown stuntman. Uh, after Dr. No, Fleming changed his mind, and the heritage of the character in the novels was actually changed to match Sean Connery, so he has some Scottish backgrounds. Yeah. I mean, when people think of James Bond, it usually is Sean Connery. Yeah, that's easily number one or number two. Yeah, but then you go on to 1967, David Niven, who was Fleming's first choice for the role. He, if you don't recognize that name, is in Casino Royale, the goofy spoof movie. Fleming wanted him and wrote the character with Niven in mind and also references David Niven by name in You Only Live Twice, the novel. That's interesting because he, he does is... not fit a Bond. I don't see, I mean, if you were to just purely look at like a portrait, sure, he's got that, you know, dressed up Englishman mm-hmm. look. But outside of that, 
I don't see it. Speaking of dressed up Englishmen, they decided to go with an Australian. The next one with George Lazenby. And that is actually, I had to look up twice how it's pronounced. Um, he is known as the Forgotten Bond. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's kind of a running joke within media when it's like, oh, you're forgotten. Somebody like George Clooney is the George Lazenby of the Batman films. It's the forgotten character in the series. Um, he only did one movie, On Your Majesty's Secret Service. He was chosen because he was the number one male model at the time. And Connery wanted more money to do the movies. Um, Lazenby was signed on to do seven movies, uh, but for some reason got out of the deal. It is said that his agents told him it was going to go downhill, so he shouldn't keep the role. And due to his inexperience as an actor, he would get upset, uh, thinking that the people running the film were just telling him to do things mindlessly. I mean, both of us can kind of agree, Lazenby's not really our favorite either. No, no. He's definitely... He If I had to... Put him in a ranking. I mean, if we're including Niven, second from the bottom. He's be number six overall. Yeah. Definitely down there. It just doesn't feel like Bond. So my thought was, and I said this to you, it feels like they were trying to get Roger Moore, but like his kind of character and how he plays Bond, and then Lazenby just kind of took that role. Like he feels a little quirky. He kind of feels like the playboy a little bit, and he feels like the one-liner Bond. Um, that would then kind of be taken to a level when Moore came along, which ironically enough is the next Bond here. Roger Moore first portrayed Bond in Live and Let Die and last portrayed him 13 years later in A View to a Kill. Don is shaking his head. <laughs> and I know uh, Moore was the oldest actor to ever portray Bond when he was 58 years old. Yeah. Uh, in, and you can tell. Oh, you can see it like in, I think it was For Your Eyes Only, uh, you start to kind of see, it's like, all right, you're getting a little up there. Yeah. He originally actually wanted to retire from the character after For Your Eyes Only, uh, but was coaxed back in for two more. And Moore said that his version of Bond wasn't a cold-blooded killer. He played the character mostly for laughs. He was kind of known as the playboy who would have any gadget or trick up his sleeve when time was called for. And that's kind of been a part of Bond's character from the beginning, but this was really emphasized when Moore was involved. He wasn't, you know, the trained, you know, spy like Connery was. He kind of was just like, I have the right thing at the right time. And you can see that in a lot of the movies. Oh, yeah. You can you can definitely feel that. Especially, you know, as it gets into the using it at the right time. It's He doesn't seem to have ever use anything until he absolutely has to use something. And then it seems to come off more of a, of a joke yep. kind of use. Yeah, it's definitely it played off for laughs. Yeah. Like I mean, the one I think of is in Live and Let Die when he has like these like air tablets and he just puts it in the villain's mouth and the villain blows up in a balloon and pops on the ceiling. And yeah. it's like, why do you have that random gadget? Right. Moving on, we have Timothy Dalton, played Bond in two movies, Licensed to Kill and Living Daylights. Dalton was approached for the role originally in 68 for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but said he was way too young for the role at the time and he couldn't take over for Sean Connery as Sean Connery was, quote, too wonderful. He was also approached in 79 to do the role, but didn't like the direction the character was going. Dalton was known to be a stickler of Fleming's character. He would read the novels on set. He tried to base his character off of the book version that uh, Fleming created, which was kind of where Bond seemed to be done with the spy life and was reluctant to do the next job, but would do it anyways. I mean, they referenced it in the first movie when he's like, you didn't kill the sniper. And then Bond says, like, have him fire me. I don't care. Yeah, like, yeah, I can definitely pick up on that. Yeah, uh, and then he was supposed to be doing Goldeneye, but uh, one of the key things throughout this whole thing is legal disputes. 
um, with the rights to the character, um, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the rights to the characters were bought from Fleming uh, by two producers, and it just got a little muddy after a while, and uh, that's why Never Say Never Again is a remake of Thunderball completely, because the company actually owned the rights to Thunderball, the story, uh, and that's why Eon couldn't use Blofeld or Spectre or any of those things. And so that actually caused an issue, and that's why GoldenEye was then pitched off to Pierce Brosnan. He starred in three other Bond movies, ending with Die Another Day. Uh, after Broccoli, Albert Broccoli, um, who was one of the producers, uh, met him on the set for Free Your Eyes Only, he said, you're the, my next pick for James Bond, uh, and quote, only if he can act. <laughs> um, which came true in 86, but due to a scheduling issue, Brosnan could take the role, and instead it went to Timothy Dalton. Uh, Brosnan wanted to do six movies like Connery and then retire, um, and actually was a critic and fan favorite, uh, but then actually was dismissed from the role in 2005 and said he was very hurt by that. And hmm. uh, yeah, it was a little bit messy when they said they wanted to go in a direction with the character, and fans and critics really liked him. I mean, I'm a big Brosnan fan and defender. Um, I'm I'm up there with it. He, I would put him at place him as my overall number three. Yeah, I mean the uh, the two above it are I'm assuming it goes Craig then Connery. Number one would be for me is Connery. Yeah. Number two Craig. Yep. Number three Brosnan. And I think and that's not to say that he's necessarily worse than like to, I, not to look at it in that light like he's he's oh he's number three he's you know the second loser type thing. He did a really, really good job. Goldeneye was the first Bond movie that I ever saw. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen any of the earlier ones before. I knew who Bond was growing up. You hear about him. Mm -hmm. There's always the jokes and stuff. You maybe see a little clip on TV or something like that. But I didn't sit and watch any of the movies until Goldeneye came out. So he was my first introduction to Bond as a character. And he did a fantastic job. And those movies are hands down if you're trying to get into the James Bond franchise and you want to see some of it and you want to get some good movies that's where you start in my opinion. No, I agree with you. My first movie was actually The World is Not Enough. That was the first one okay. I saw. We had four VHSs of Bond movies and it was uh, World is Not Enough, Goldeneye, From Russia with Love, and we had The Man with the Golden Gun. Those were only four that we had. So I remember watching Bond and watching Roger Moore. I was like, this isn't really my cup of tea. And then watching Brosnan, I was like, okay, yeah, this is the guy. And then also at that time, that's when Goldeneye, the video games come out. That's when Asian Under Fire comes out. That's when all the Bond video games are coming out. And Brosnan's likeness is the Bond. Um, so that's where I kind of, I think the same thing. If you're looking to get into Bond, as much as Connery is like, you know, the staple Bond, I think the easiest Bonds to watch are Brosnan's. Well, and it's with the times, too. They took that step from the Roger Moore Bonds where, yeah, there were stunts. Yeah, there were action. But it wasn't to the high-octane level that the 90s Bond movies were. Yeah. When you start getting into, like, Dalton kind of started that, uh, you know, doing high, high skydive jumps. Yeah. Uh, Halo jumps. When he started doing the chases more that were more physical those sort of things. And then leading into Brosnan, really pulling it out with the fantastic 90s explosions everywhere action scenes. Yeah. I mean, it all is personal preference. Um, it, it, as Don said earlier, it, you can see how the movies evolve with time. And it's all personal preference. The last Bond is Daniel Craig. Uh, he's been in four Bond films so far, soon to be on his fifth. He originally was reluctant to do the role and actually has wanted to stop doing the role previously, but has kept going. 
And I don't want to make anybody mad. He has been called by every Bond actor the best Bond, including Sean Connery, who said he is fantastic and marvelous for the part. Honestly, I can see that. I, I can understand why they say that. Oh, I can too. He has a very different take. And that's, we're going to get into our kind of thoughts in a second um, about what we think the character actually is, because technically these are all the same person. Technically. Speaking. Technically. But we're going to get, we're going to dive deep into that. We've been going for 30 minutes already. I wanted to write this down and I want to see your thoughts on this. I have a list of actors who were heavily considered or almost hired for Bond, but did mm. not get the part. Interesting. So this includes Michael Caine, hmm. Clive Owen, okay, Rafe Fiennes, Dick Van Dyke, no, yeah, Sean Bean, okay, yep, Sam Neill, no, Henry Cavill, that I could see, yeah, Sam Worthington, that I could see, Carl Urban, ooh, and the most oddball of them all. Mel Gibson. Yeah, no way. No, not at Bond no. <laughs> should never be portrayed by an American. I'll say that right no, now. No, absolutely not. The Bond community would have to unite behind that one and boycott that movie at all costs. Yeah. Now, is there a care? Is there anyone on that list that you would have, you know, been okay with or thought would be an interesting portrayal? Um, you know, there were a couple on there uh, that I thought I could see being in the role. Carl Urban. Being one of those, I am a big fan of him. Oh, me too. Uh, I've seen him in plenty of other roles, including when you go into, uh, I'll call on another movie series here, Red. Yeah. Uh, Red 2, he plays an agent that's trying to keep up with the protagonist in there. And he's got that almost James Bond feel behind him. He's always yeah. nice and clean tucked in the suit and you know straight tie but he's gonna able to carry around the you know submachine gun no problem jump on the phone and just be calm as ever talking on the phone when he needs to like he's already got that portrayal down so i could kind of see that one and almost accept that one yeah i think um, the one for me is clive owen i think could be cool or interesting take because him in the mid-2000s was a really unique yeah. actor and I feel like that would work. But the one that's always in my heart that's not on this list or hasn't been considered, I don't think, is Idris Elba. That was the one that kind of... Oh, man. Him. If he could take over, that movie would grow so much money be just because yes. it would be so good. Yeah, he's an amazing actor. He's absolutely amazing. And so many of the movies that he's already done were same sort of thing. It's almost like he's played Bond. It goes back to what you were saying earlier where people have taken bits and pieces of Bond and turned those into other characters... And kind of said, well, this is how Bond would do it, so this is how I'm going to play it for a completely different character. And I almost feel like Idris Elba looked at that and did the same thing mm -hmm. because there are several movies where he plays a similar character. Yeah, he also had a TV show, Luther, we did the yeah. similar Bond style. Yeah, and, and it's so good. He's he's definitely got the more casual side of Bond in a lot of his stuff. Yeah, he would feel more like a, I feel like a Brosnan kind of almost, yeah. where he's kind yeah. of laid back, but he can be action heavy when he needs to. Oh, yeah. We are going to start getting in the meat of this. Donald and I, we, we both share a very, I feel like it's a very common take online that all the Bonds should be different people within the universe. And that James Bond throughout the years, in the film series, James Bond throughout the years is the same person. We think... Supposedly. Supposedly. That's what they tell you. But we both think that each Bond 
should be a different person taking up the James Bond name and the double O status. And how we've kind of thought about it is it's like two tiers. When you become a part of the service, you get the James Bond name and that's your new identity. Then once you finally got your two kills, which is what they say in Casino Royale, then you get double O status. And just like every other double O number has a name behind that we just don't get to see. So like based on your characteristics, your traits, kind of previous bonds, they would say, okay, based on who you are, Don, I think you would be 007. You're going to be James Bond and then we'll work you up to that top spot. Right. Why do you feel that way? Because I feel like that just would make so much sense in the long run, but they just seem to not want that to be the case. That's, you know, that's kind of the hard question to answer, I think, because if you, you know, going back to Ian Fleming's novels, it's all based on one person throughout time, right? Throughout the series of novels, it's all the same guy. It's all Commander Bond. And he has a major backstory and it fills in a lot of holes and things like that. Yeah. When you go, of course, anytime you take a book to a film, there's things that leave that get dropped out. Yeah. I think one of the big things here is that the Bond film franchise has taken place over the better part of it's almost 60 seven, years. It's, yeah, it's 60 years. Yeah. So we're talking about six decades worth of the world changing. So Sean Connery's Bond, if you were to just take him out and put him in Daniel Craig's movies, it just wouldn't work. They're just two different people. They really are two different people. Yeah, every Bond is. Every we, we Bond talk is, about how different they are. Yeah, it, every Bond is portrayed differently by each actor who, who does him. And to fit those sort of character traits and also the subject matter behind each movie... I think it very neatly fills in some holes if you were to just say James Bond is your cover name and you will earn double O status whenever you get your two kills. And now when that person retires or dies, most likely dies, let's be honest. I mean, that's what even Daniel Craig says, that double O's have a short life expectancy. Right. So how are you going to spend all this money sending this agent around, having him develop this reputation that precedes him everywhere he goes only to have him die off and then now you don't have him anymore wouldn't it be more useful in these agencies to have that moniker continue on over course of time and let multiple people build it up and it also explains a lot of plot holes right like we talked about the one with blofeld where he literally meets him you know bond and blofeld meet they have a discussion they, they see each other's faces. They know who each yeah, other and are. You only live once is when they meet. Right. They're they're face to face. And then right in the next movie, they have no idea who each other are. Yeah. But one. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, they have no recollection, no image, no idea who the other person the is. The whole plot of that movie is James Bond is undercover, which is literally just wearing glasses and a kilt, goes to Blofeld's new layer to try to trick him and as don just said they literally met the movie before and had a lot of interactions together and not only that if you're going off of the modern movies spoiler if you haven't seen specter they're stepbrothers yeah so you're telling me that they forgot 
they were related for two movies, and then it would explain how the M's get carried over and have different bonds. It explains Money Penny's relationship with all the bonds because even you've said very neatly. Yeah, Money Penny acts differently to each bond. Like her and Sean Connery feel like lost lovers, mm-hmm. and they feel like Pam. Uh, the more modern take would be like Pam and Jim from the yeah. Office, where like they they should be together. But they're never going to be. So much heavy innuendo between those two, it's ridiculous. And some of it's just blatant. Yeah. Come back to my place type things. Yeah. And then when Roger Moore comes along, it's almost like she can't be bothered. And you got to look at it at the fact that it's the same actress portraying Moneypenny with Sean Connery, Lazenby, and Roger Moore. Yeah. And then also you have the same M going through Connery, Lazenby more and dalton then you have the same q going through connery lazenby more dalton and brosnan and retiring and literally handing off the title q to another person right so he could hand off that title but apparently 007 can't be and then you have a new m who is with brosnan and then with the new craig when he is becoming double o and they continuously reference how previous people in this situation have not acted this way. I mean, hell, even Lazenby, in the first five minutes of On Your Majesty's Secret oh, yeah. Service, he looks in the camera and says, like, this didn't happen to the other guy when the girl runs away from him. It's weird because they want us to think that these are all the same person. But it would be so much easier on a structured level to just say exactly what you said. It's a code name that you earn and you just go right in. It would just make so much sense. And we'll get more into that per movie, but it's I, used on so many other characters in the movie series. It's used on Mathis. It's used on M. It's used Felix. on Q. It's we could relate Felix. Although they don't really call it out on Felix. No, they don't call it out exactly. So Felix. Felix Lighters, you know, um, James Bond's CIA, CIA counterpart could be exactly the same thing, and it would make absolute perfect sense. Same thing with him. That character changed, or that actor changed, but the character would change a little bit yeah. from the portrayals, right? But, oh, because Felix is goofy in the more ones. He's oh, like, yeah. yeah, he is. I, mean, I remember Live and Let Die, he's just kind of goofy. Yeah. I, I get probably it's because Fleming wanted it that way, but as I said earlier, the rights of those movies, right of the character got bought by Harry Saltzman. He purchased the filming rights of the novels. Albert Broccoli wanted to purchase them off of Saltzman, but then they came to an agreement to start making the Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got into kind of some trouble after The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, their names always come up in the beginning of the Bond movies, Broccoli yep. and Saltzman. Until, until Broccoli died. Yep, yep, until Broccoli died and his, uh, I believe it was his daughter took over. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's what Fleming and them wanted. Um, I don't know. It just sometimes gets a little muddy, especially when it comes to tech. Is another thing, too, where you're looking at like yeah. modern technology and it goes away. Um, well, and the call-out that they do through all the newer ones, when you go to Daniel Craig, and it, like I said earlier, it literally calls out tech from previous movies. Like, it's in there. But, it, it, I mean, there's so many things. Like, they call out the previous gadgets. They bring back the DB5. Aston Martin DB5, they call it out in 
the Daniel Craig movies as being a classic, not like, oh, hey, here's something brand new, like your 2005 DB5. Yeah. Here's your 1964 DB5. Yeah. Like, it, it just... It would fit so neatly if they would just let that happen. But then Nolan, Skyfall, Inspector, they had to go and ruin it for us. No, yeah, there's so many other movies in this series that do kind of just put a damper on that. Um, and we're going to get into it right now because we've been going for about 40 minutes and I'm talking about the movies. So <laughs> All right. um, there are 26 Bond movies. I've done their average scores, as I said, based on the you know reviews that they've had. The average Bond movie is a score of 69.2% which leaves 12 Bond movies above that average. So there's a top 12 of Bond movies based upon this. How we will cover this, we will be counting down the list from 26 to 13 by 2, so 26 and 25, 24 and 23, etc. Briefly mentioning those, then once we get to 12 to 1, we will kind of go more in depth with all of those, since they're technically the top Bond movies. I'll be adding a fun fact per each one. Um, and if we don't go in depth for all of them, remember we've watched these all in a row and sometimes they get a little blurry. But Don, I'm going to ask you, since there are so many Bond movies, I usually ask my guests, what is the top three? For you, I want you to tell me what you think the top four Bond movies are based on average review score. Top four Bond movies out of the series... So I think top four, and I'm not sure that I can put them in any particular order. That's okay, yeah. But I think top four would, one in there would have to be Skyfall. Uh, I would think Dr. No from Russia with Love. And I'm probably going to have to throw in the the Daniel Craig Casino Royale. Um, all right, well, I'm going to keep that in my head. Okay. And see where I come in. Yeah, and see where you come in. We're going to jump right in. Uh, and I will ask you right now, do you know what the worst Bond movie is? <laughs> Without a doubt. It's the original Casino Royale. Absolutely. Oh and it's not God. even close. Um, it is a 42.83%. That is number 26. Huh. And number 25 Bond is A View to a Kill with 54%. Really? Yes. So I could see that. Yeah. Well, Casino Royale, we've already said enough. It is a weird comedy like it's almost a parody of Bond. Yeah. And it's not good. No. Just watch the don't waste the time watching the movie. Just watch the trailer on Amazon and that's enough. We're not gonna spend time on it because it's not it's like <laughs> so the terrible. black sheep of the Bond series. But if you do a kill, yeah, fifty four percent oh wait, fun fact for Casino Royale, it was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, Burt Bacharach did the score, and he got a nomination. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. So it was for music. It yeah, wasn't his for face else. was like <laughs> stunned. Uh, yeah, nothing else. Um, but a view to a kill. Uh, the fun fact for that is it's Roger Moore's least favorite of his movies because he said there's too much violence, and he was way too old, and he was 58 years old in this, well, and you can tell. At least he agrees with that. Yeah, this is the one where uh, Christopher Walken and Grace Jones are in it. I think a little cool part of this though is that you know typically Bond's villain has a henchman who is like a big muscular beast or usually has like some sort of weird trait that is like, I mean, there's the hat, there's the teeth, there's the oh, nails. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but Grace Jones plays the heavy, which I think is cool, but it's not good. This no, one's long. Easy to forget. Yeah. I mean, all I think of is the horses scenes and it's like, it yeah. just goes on so long in these stables. Um, but yeah, that's 26 and 25. Um, number 24 is the man with the golden gun. Really? Yeah. With a 59.66%. Wow. I would have thought that'd be higher. Why why did you say that? Well, because I think just overall, it, it for the time that it came out, if you're thinking about some of the characters and some of the actors that were in it, I think I would think that it would bring a little bit more behind it. I didn't think it was a terrible movie. 
I mean, you're talking about a little more investigative than on some of the other ones, but it wasn't terrible. But I wouldn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought it'd be that low. Yeah, this one's a little lower for me too. Uh, the fun fact is that Christopher Lee has said this was one of his favorite roles to play. He is the okay. villain. He is the titular man with the golden gun. Yep. I think maybe this is a part where Bond just started to get kind of tiring. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, this was. It was kind of just your same run of the mill Bond. I don't mind it that much. Definitely not Miley's favorite. Roger Moore movie. No. Um, I definitely have a least favorite that is uh, coming up. And then number 23 is Octopussy with a 61.16%. And that surprised me too. Your face was surprising because yeah. I really like Octopussy. I do too. It's got a lot of depth for Bond. Yes. Uh, it's got a lot of depth. It's got a lot of bringing in backstories to other characters when they don't really in- go too in depth on side characters. Mm-hmm. You've got the character of Octopussy that has this really deep backstory that they obviously don't go entirely into but it's this really relatable character that they bring out that you're you're kind of is she bad is she good do i want to root for her? do i not culminating in a whole lot more i would have thought that one would do a lot yeah i really like her character um the name of the movie always kind of gives it this weird like you know grin obviously octopusy um and that's kind of i think brings it down is that it, it that comical name is there but well, bonds always have it bond girls always have a comical name right but there's never been the title of the movie true ever. it wasn't pussy galore right it wasn't <laughs> right. uh what the first one is uh honey um honey trap or no honey oh gosh honey something yeah it's there's always these weird bond names that's kind of where you start to see the austin powers movie start getting there like the one i think of always is like a lot of vagina or whatever her name is um but that's where this kind of comes from but i mean the character of octopusy though yeah, she's really competent. She's cool. She kind of totes that gray line. Is she good, mm-hmm. bad, as you mentioned? And I really like her chemistry with Moore. Moore isn't the playboy that he normally is in this movie. He's kind of taking a step back. Mm-hmm. And it does get a little campy at the end with like some fight sequences, but I still really enjoy it. Uh, but the fun fact of this movie, rumors were swirling around and still do that apparently Sean Connery was going to appear as the villain in this one. Oh. Uh, but it was never confirmed by anybody, but there's a lot of speculation and people that in the industry are like no that was supposed to be the case but it just ended up not coming to fruition so that would have been interesting to watch yeah but i really like that one it's a little bit low on this list unfortunately um but number 22 is never say never again with a 61.83 percent this is when sean connery comes back as bond not an eon title again this is kind of the remake of thunderball right uh, because the rights of Thunderball were owned by another company and they were like screw it we'll make our own yeah blofeld's in it connery's in it and he he just feels a little old for the role. Yeah, I, 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 that one I can kind of see. I don't think it had the production power behind it that Eon did to have really a good value out of everything. You know, when it comes to the sets, when it comes to the special effects, the just the whole feel of the movie wasn't quite right. It just felt off. It felt yeah. like the someone was trying to make a Bond movie, but they couldn't. Right. It felt like a Bond, like the Bond TV movie. Like it should yep. have been a TV movie. It's, you know, those ones that somebody always does that knocks off some of the big title of the day. Instead of Armageddon, they did you know him Deep Impact, Deep Impact or yeah. something like that. It's, it's that sort of thing. It's an it's an off Bond movie. Yeah. Fun fact: This one. It's named after what Sean Connery's wife said to him when he said he was reprising the role after he had said to her previously that he was never going to do it again. She said, "Never say never again." <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yes, number twenty-one really upsets me. Oh boy! 
It is the world is not enough for the 62.33%. Okay, I'm with you on there because that should be much higher. That is a good movie. Yes. Is that, it? Is a, that is a really good movie. It is not Brosnan's worst movie. No. By a long shot. It's actually Desmond Llewellyn's final portrayal as Q. Uh, he unfortunately died in a car accident after this one was released. And he said he actually was planning on being in the next one. Was he? Even though he says his little goodbye, he's, which I mean, he always shows is, up somehow. That scene is so endearing, like yeah. just him saying goodbye, and then just on that little platform, and he just starts lowering down as he's saying goodbye. Yeah, and it just felt like we were saying goodbye to the character, and that's kind of sad. I didn't yeah. realize he died. Yeah, he actually did, and that's why. Uh, if anybody owned the VHS at the time, they had the "Nobody Does It Better" from "The Spy Who Loved Me," and they do that over a um, kind of showcasing of the character. Oh wow! And him, he was in seventeen oh, Bond movies overall. Yeah, he was. He was such a great character. His he was to me. He was the comic relief, and it was because he was taking it so seriously. But it just came off so comical. Oh, so his gadgets are ridiculous. But and it's so just all the little things of please bring it back in one piece. This time, can you please just bring it back in one piece? He seemed exhausted by the fact that Bond never brought back his toys. Yeah, my favorite part uh, in any Bond movie, or one of them, is when Brosnan grabs the sandwich. He goes, "Don't touch that. It's my lunch." <laughs> like it's just those kind of comical moments yeah. um, and he always seemed to have really good rapport I mean one of the one one of the reasons why I love a movie coming up on the list is that he gets a lot of screen time actually helping out um, Timothy Dalton's character in one of the movies oh yeah it just makes me feel really happy and I just like when he actually gets to do stuff and it made me really sad that I found that out too uh, but yeah Rose Not Enough I feel like is really low on this list I think it's my fa- my second favorite Brosnan film and one of my favorites just in general to watch because it's fun. Maybe it's not the best script. Um, and maybe it's kind of a little redundant after a while. But I enjoyed that one. I think most of the Bond movies that one line or another are a little redundant. Yeah. Uh, but fun fact, this one, it was the highest grossing Bond movie of the 20th century. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it did good for itself. Yeah. But any last comments about that one? No. Okay. I'll save them. <laughs> All right. Number 20. Another one I'm kind of sad is a little low is Moonraker with a 62.5%. Now, you're smirking because you uh, – yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> yeah, we've we've had that conversation. It's not a great movie. No. It's 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 very campy. It's, it's very much trying to capitalize on the space exploration portions of, of what was going on in the world. and Wasn't it just that? It's because A New Hope came out and the filmmakers were like, we need to make a space movie. Well, I mean, there's that. There's this the space shuttle program's really kind of in its heyday yes. and things like that. And it's it's all about that. This is actually the final appearances of Bernard Lee as M, um, who played M throughout most of the series, and has probably my favorite Bond villain all throughout, Jaws, um, <laughs> who... I just I love Jaws because I think he's the perfect foil to Roger Moore's goofiness because it feels like honestly and this is what I think and I want to want to know your thoughts. He feels like the wily e. coyote to Roger Moore's Roadrunner. Roadrunner. Where it's like I mean even the scene in the beginning where he he jumps out of the airplane and he crash lands into a circus tent. Yeah, okay. He's I can always see what you're one saying, he always has one little thing where he's trying to get Bond and then Bond sneaks through and then he has like the scene where he's on the ski lift and he crashes into the like he's always close to getting Bond. But never truly does. Then he always shows him walk out, brush off, and then he's like, "All right, well, we're on to the next one." Yeah, I um, mean, I could, I could see that, and, and that makes that makes sense. I do love Jaws. Don't get me wrong, 
I didn't really care for him um, when they first started bringing him out. You know, he's the henchman. Like, there yeah. just wasn't much behind him. And to have, I forget the actor's Richard name. Richard Keel. Richard Keel. I love Keel, him so much. He's a great actor, but they didn't really use him as an actor well, it feels so like in moonraker much. they did they brought his character yeah. he was able to really express himself this love interest coming oh, out she's with so great girl with the pigtails yeah. and well not okay it's a woman it's a woman yes. she's just very small compared to yes, him who is this large scale he's a very big man oh he's like seven foot tall something. yeah he had some form of gigantism or mm-hmm. something i think you know he gets very physical but like his just the presence that he has on screen is it makes up for him not really having any lines. Oh yeah, he's silent throughout the whole thing, except yeah. for at the end of the, the movie. Very end. Yep. Yep. He's very sweet. Um, but actually, a little fun fact: he turned good because all the fan mail he got from kids, fan mail, and they were saying, "Hey, why isn't he a good guy?" So oh. they switched him to be a good guy at the end. Um, um, I can appreciate that because it, it definitely. I think it was a logical sense. They did it a really good way with it having him basically feel like he was in the right place but then bond trying to open his eyes and him finally like seeing it going okay yeah to the line at the end because moonraker the whole plot of the film is that there's an evil um you know genius who wants to take his pure humans who are like perfect in every way and takes them to this base bond is there and he's like oh so you're gonna make you know perfect humans and the guy's like yes he's like what happens if they're not perfect and he kind of looks at Jaws. He says, "Oh, they'll be destroyed." And then Jaws kind of looks at his girl, uh, woman, and um, they kind of look really concerned. And then, yeah, they turn good because like, oh, we're being used. So, well, because they were. Yeah. You know, they, he's the muscle. That's all there was to it. Was yeah. he was he was the muscle. Yeah, but I I really enjoyed that movie. I mean, the, the space effects look terrible, and it's again just a <laughs> so bad. There's literally a scene where they're literally out in space shooting lasers at each other in different colored uniforms. Um, but it's just goofy. It's just, this is where the lightheartedness of the series, you got to kind of look at it and go, all right, we're getting a little weird with it. But it does it. There's no other movie like it, which I think might be why yeah. I'm good with it. Um, but number 19 is Die Another Day with a 63%. Mm. Should be a little lower. That movie is yeah. boring. It, 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 it's not the easiest to watch all the way through without having to take some type of break. Yes, I agree. Uh, it's kind of notable for the Bond girl being Halle Berry. Yeah, uh, and she did a good she did a good job. Don't oh, yeah, get me wrong. Actress. But I feel like the plot really wasn't ironed out in that one. Through yeah. ninety, like ninety percent of the movie was just it's an assassination mission, as opposed to all of the other movies have this sort of deeper meaning behind them. Because <laughs> we just have a Moonraker. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, but it, but at the same time, like the the original part of Moonraker was they're talking about okay, where's this lost? Well, they're shuttle. space shells, yeah, yeah, and then oh, it turns into something bigger. Oh, and then it's a cover up. Oh, yeah. and then he finally gets to the point where well, what's the substance? What's the whole point? Yeah, and then it's oh, okay, all this has culminated in this large scale mission to repopulate the entire Earth, right? Like that's yep. that's a huge subject matter yeah. versus you know, hey, North Korea wants to win finally, so they're going to create. A giant sun laser beam. Yo, it's absurdly ridiculous. Genetic engineering to create a different person so that he could be hidden in plain sight. But it's basically an assassination movie. Just go kill the guy. Yeah, don't forget the great uh, scene where everything starts melting and Bond is basically surfing on. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, this movie is forgettable. (laughs) I feel like that was that culmination where all the peers, where it seems like a lot of the the Bond movies, they progress. 
into this, okay, we're going to do a really good job with the first one. And then we're going to slowly start to get more and more ridiculous before yeah. we go to the next James Bond. And then we're going to rein it back in again a little bit. Yep. And then we're going to get more and more ridiculous. And then we're going to go to the next Bond. And this was, that's Brosnan's like yeah, most ridiculous. Like oh, it's, yeah, by far. It's the most like, oh, hey, throw something out there just to make it, you know, a little more interesting. A rocket sled. Yeah, and then you just know, the CGI doesn't look that great. Yeah. The acting, I think, is what saves the movie. Yeah, because Brosnan is a good actor. So is Halle Berry. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, what you have to work with. But the fun fact is that Pierce Brosnan, uh, this was his least favorite Bond film. Hey, that makes so, sense. <laughs> I, I can take it. I agree with you, Pierce. Yeah, we like you, Pierce, and we agree with you. We have a tie for number 18. Okay. Oh, interesting. We have Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh. And Diamonds Are Forever. R- really? Yeah, so two good Bonds. They, yes. Yeah. Okay. Both have a 65.16%. Okay. Diamonds Forever is when Sean Connery came back for one last Eon Bond because they did uh, On Your Majesty's Secret Service and then he came back, got paid a lot of money for it, and then he retired. Uh, it's a it's a goofy film. It's a little long, I will say. Yeah, it drags on a little bit. But it has some good suspense. Like the scene where he's getting cremated. Um, yeah. That scene always made me like sweat. Well, and the, the, the two guys coming back, the two brothers are... Oh, the goofy... The goofy yeah. assassin guys. I think they they both help and hurt. You know, I think they were used a little bit too much in the beginning. But, like, as they start getting more on through the movie, it, it, it's, I think they kind of help bring everything back together. Yeah. Um, this one, it's probably one of my... It's like a middle Connery bond for me. Yeah, I would put it... I would probably put it... I don't know. I probably would have put it in the top half. Yeah, I definitely. I think it should be a top half. There are so the top half would be thirteen or higher. Yeah. This one, yeah, I I think maybe it's just because the character kind of as you kind of see these middle bonds in like the late sixties into the seventies, it started to kind of get redundant. There's really one bond, and we'll talk about that later. That really kind of restarted the franchise, and mm-hmm. for Moore's sake. But the fun fact for this one is it actually is supposed to be a little bit different. Really? Uh, yes. So the original plot was supposed to have Gert Frobe come back as Goldfinger, oh. his twin brother. Twin brother. Yep. So they were going soap opera. Oh, okay. I'm glad they didn't go yeah, that way. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, Gold, Goldfinger's a cool <laughs> character, but I don't like the brother. No. Um, but then let's talk about Tomorrow Never Dies. So I, I, it's, a, it's a very different bomb because now it's like a tech mogul. Yeah. Um, yeah taking over and i mean it's it, it does feel kind of like a rehashing of um oh gosh what's the one where they swallow the ships i keep forgetting the name of that one. Oh, uh swallowing the ships that's not is that free eyes only no it's not from it's not spiral of me no i'm trying to remember now which one it was well it, it but that movie because I can remember most of the movie itself. I just can't remember the name of it for some reason. It, it felt kind of like a redo of that Yeah. overall. I can see that. Yeah, at least in towards the end. You know, the, the whole plot basically was based off of the idea that we're going to create a war between two superpowers because we can't. So it's like it's we're going to steal some ships and launch some missiles at each other and things like that. And now this time it's, oh, I'm going to fire missiles between two countries. It's a cool plot point. Yeah. Especially because the Cold War is officially over at this point. Right. Um, so it's kind of trying to rehash that. Well, and they have China and the U.S. or excuse me, China and Britain sitting there like on the brink. 
only to be held off by you know Kim Bond save you yeah. know save the day in time. It's that same sort of thing over again. And I don't know. I, I don't know that it necessarily did a better job than the other movie trying to pull off the same stunts. I could see this being lower half. It was in the unenviable position of being Raptor Goldeneye. Because Goldeneye yes. was like Goldeneye's, huge. Yeah. And this was right after. And it's like you're never going to be able to live up those expectations. No. Um, and so that's kind of the weird, sad kind of place that it had. And that's why I like to run over dies. Because it's like I understand that you know they're trying to follow up with that one, but not be you know too more over the top. Like you, right. if there was a more movie that'd go over the top, this kind of try to bring it back a little, bring it back to kind of a classic Bond, like you said. Yeah. But other movies have done it better. Um, yeah. But the fun fact is that Walther uh, debuted their new gun, the P ninety nine, because Bond was their most visible endorser. Oh yeah. So they were like, "Here's our new gun." Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about Walther's major name of. Bond as a whole, the PPK iconic thing as yep. early as basically from Dr. No, the very first movie in the line, calls out Beretta, which was the major manufacturer yep. of the day, and says, we're going to put the Beretta aside and we're going to pick up the Walther but yes. take this Walther PPK, oh, which yeah. basically becomes the Bond gun. Oh, through, it's the Bond gun. Aside from the P99, pretty much the Bond gun throughout the life of Bond. But so yeah, that's number, uh, those are time for 18. Number 16, one that, you know, we aren't really a big fan of. Oh boy. Quantum of Solace with a 66%. It's just, yeah. like you said earlier, the Bond movies kind of, they, they go in like these waves. Yeah. Uh, and this one definitely goes in waves because like Casino Royale was like revolutionary to the Bond character. Oh, it completely changed everything. Yeah, and I think similarly to what I said about Tomorrow Never Dies, following up, that was an impossible task. But the problem is, is that this movie is just boring. It really is. I want to lend half of that to the acting. Not from Daniel Craig. Everybody else. Everybody else. is just phoning it in. Everybody else feels like made-for-TV movie actors... That were put in places that they really didn't need to be in, doing things they didn't really need to do. Yeah. Uh, the only one I would really call out differently would be Mathis. I will say, watching Spectre, this one kind of ties in a little bit better, but they do like bring up Quantum a lot to be like, if you didn't watch it, here's what happened. Yeah. Right. I, I think, and while on to, you know, that's kind of going into how all these Bond movies are all kind of tied together. To go all of a sudden, you know, we've got this organization, Quantum, and it is an organization. Yep. To now be swallowed by a larger organization, Spectre, I think it kind of tells you where Quantum really is. Is like, eh. Well, the reasoning behind that is because, as we've said before, rights issues. Right. They couldn't mention Spectre by name because the rights to that in Blofeld were owned by another company. So it's like, well, what if we made a new one? Yeah. Oh, here's the new yep. secret organization. And it's like, wink, wink, this one's Spectre. And then yeah. they got the rights and they're like, just kidding, Quantum Spectre. I mean, overall, the plot was an interesting idea, but... Not, I mean, it's definitely a lower tier Bond film. Um, but the fun fact, this was the most expensive Bond film to date when it was made with $225 million budget. I wonder if half of that was trying to blow up the building in the middle Probably. of the desert. <laughs> because they blow that thing they, up. That's a lot of hydrogen bombs. Yes. Number 15, though, is one that, again, I don't like, Live and Let Die. 67.33%. Yeah. This movie 
it's racist. Oh, that, that's not even the word for it. Yeah, it is. How this movie would was even made then, I honestly, I can't understand. It has to be a British thing. It has it to be, be a British thing because that movie would never have been made in the United States. No, I will never watch it again. Yeah. I, I, I watched it that's a long, long time that... ago and I watched it because I remember it. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm good. Yeah. It's like voodoo, and it takes yeah. place in Harlem and in Louisiana, and you can just fill in the blanks on why this movie's racist if uh, you know I haven't oh, yeah. said it up front yet. It's most notable for having "Live and Let Die," one of the greatest Bond themes ever. Oh yeah, I mean Paul McCartney is just classic in Wings. I mean, you just—that's like of all the Bond themes, it's the only one you really still hear on the radio. Oh yeah, it's that one. You'll hear "Diamonds Are Forever" like referenced and stuff. Yeah. Um, or Skyfall. Yeah, Skyfall's pretty popular, but then that's about it. It's also, it's Roger Moore's first attempt, and I'll tell you right now, and I think we both thought the same thing, going in order and going from Connery to Lazenby to this, you can just feel the tonal shift. And this is, I think, the biggest movie where I want to say this is different, people. You can just it, tell. It's so off-putting compared to even what Lazenby did. I would I would take Lazenby's Bond over this one. Roger Moore's first Bond. Yeah, I'm not saying Roger Moore's not, continuing Bond. Yeah, this he Bond. definitely got better, but he pulled out the most stereotypical British. He's playing the playboy character, guy. snobby upper class. Think of the first times you see Connery's Bond, Lazenby's Bond, and Moore's Bond. So the first time you see Connery's Bond is we both agree. Oh, I can, one of the absolutely. greatest moments in cinematic history. He sits oh. on the table, he's in the suit, and you get all these character traits from Bond and who he is within 10 minutes. Just that look on his face, and you are... The cigarette, the lights at the flick, he says the line. It was supposed to be done a, a different way, and Connery just did it one time, and they worked on it a few times, and finally got it in there, and it was great. But it just sets the tone oh, yeah. for who Bond is. We're going to get into Dr. No in a bit. Oh, man, uh, it's such but, a great movie. But then Lazenby's Bond, he's speeding down the strip with his car. He finds this girl. He's chasing after her. They go on the beach. Lazenby tries to save her from killing herself, I guess. Mm. Then she gets... A, Something like that. Yeah, then he gets attacked by these two guys. He fights them off, and then she runs away, and he looks in the camera and goes, this didn't happen to the other guy, and then goes back into a car chase. It's like, okay, we kind of get his motif. The first thing you see about Roger Moore's Bond, he's in his house banging a chick who's actually a Russian informant. M comes over. He hides the Russian informant girl. He's wearing like this silk robe, offers to make M coffee. And M says the line that you brought up a while ago where it's like. He's making this cappuccino out of a cappuccino machine that's probably got to cost as much as a flat. And then M just looks at him and it's like, really? That's all it does. Yeah. And like, so you kind of see like, he just doesn't take the role seriously. Like as Bond, not the movie role. I mean like Bond himself doesn't take double O status seriously. Yeah. And M's telling him it's his important mission because he's saying like two of our agents got murdered. Because that's the first thing you see in the film is two yeah. agents getting murdered. And then Moore's kind of like, yeah, we'll figure it out. And then Money Penny comes over and that's where you first see Money Penny not really care about Roger Moore's Bond. She's kind of like, right. oh, he's just banging another woman. Well, I mean, to help him out, to hide the other agent in a closet and right. try and help get her out and all these other things. Like, 
It has to be a different person. It has to. There just it has to be a different person. Watch. I mean, if you're listening to this, I mean, sorry. Don't watch like uh, don't watch Live and Let Die because it's a mess. Don't watch the whole movie. Just yeah, watch watch that part. Watch the the introduction to Roger Moore, and then turn the movie off. And then turn the movie off, and then watch any Connery Bond, and you'll see what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one is number fifteen. Uh, the fun fact, though, is George Martin did the score. Uh, and for those who don't know, he is widely regarded as the fifth Beatle because he helped produce almost all of their music. And that's kind of why I think Paul McCartney did the score to that, or not the score, but the theme song to this because George Martin's doing the score, which I think is really cool. Yeah. But that's about it. This movie, yeah, can it would be much lower it on my list. It should be a whole lot lower. Octopus, I'll say right now, is much better than this movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think Odd it, name, but still better movie. I think this might just be a nostalgia factor. But number 14 is one that we both really like. And actually, number 13 as well. We both like these ones. Oh, boy. Spectre, with a 67.83%, really? is number 14. Okay. And number 13 is, for your eyes only, 68%. Okay. Um, I think, actually, for me, for your eyes only is top three Roger Moore Bonds for me. I think he really started to get into the character. You start to see a little bit of goofiness in the beginning uh, because they kill off what's called Blofeld, even though it's not. He's not referenced that in the character. And that's just a fun fact, is that due to licensing agreements, again, the man in the beginning, who is clearly Blofeld, is not referenced as him, and it's meant to just kill off the character and be like, all right, we can't do him anymore, so just kill him off. Yeah, that part was really weird to me. I thought I felt like that was all of the comic relief of the movie used up in that one But that's why section. I like that movie, because it's not really funny after that. No, no, and it is. It, it's definitely a change for Roger Moore. Yeah. You know, comparatively to the rest of the movies. Because it is a lot dar- it's a lot darker. Oh, very much so. It's a lot darker movie. And I like it because it feels kinda like a Connery Bond with yeah. that regard. It starts to kind of go more deeper in tone. Uh I think the Bond girl in it is really competent. I really like her character. I I, I like this one's in the top half. Um, but Spectre to me should be in the top half as well. I really enjoy Spectre. I will say it's a bit long. Yeah, it's a bit long. And I will say I don't like what it does with the Blofeld character. Yeah, because I mean, this is this is where we get into that debate where we were talking about earlier of whether or not they're the same character or different characters. This to... one spits in the face of that because, right? Spoiler alert: you can skip ahead fifteen seconds if, or double it down if you want. But Blofeld and Bond are stepbrothers. That it, doesn't make sense to me. It makes no sense in the grand scheme of the characters. No. And this is supposed to be a prequel to Doctor No, which still doesn't make any sense. How is Blofeld related when, again, they don't know each other? Unless Blofeld, just like any other organization, in you know, Spectre, there's no, Blofeld's number one. Because Spectre does the same thing where they rank each other one, two, three, four, five. Well, and I, I mean, we could still we could still pull that out. And there could be a plot point there that we could still pull this out as it's, it's separate characters. Because his name is not Blofeld. He actually does reference that it's not his name. That is not, that is his new name. It's his, his mother's heritage, what he says. Right, his mother's heritage. So it could be that same sort of thing where we have an Ernest Stavro Blofeld. What a great name. Right? It could be that sort of thing where the Blofelds that we know of in the past are like great-granddad. Right, which still fits the narrative. Right. We'll say right, real quick, Christoph Waltz is the bad guy. Oh, is my like, God. He is the perfect Bond villain. I, there's very few movies that I feel like he's in that are bad movies. He, oh, there's very few. His And his delivery and his timing on everything 
is chilling at he's times. He's a perfect villain. I mean, watch, as I've said in the previous episodes, with the Quentin Tarantino countdown, watch Inglorious Bastards just once. Oh, man. And his character as Hans Landa is like, this is a true villain. And then he really hones that up as playing a Bond villain. So you get the kind of the campiness and the goofiness of a Bond villain. But he does it in a way where you like you feel like this is an actual person. Yeah. A lot of the other Bond villains and Bond characters are like, wow, these are larger than life characters. Mm-hmm. These are obvious storybook characters. But his portrayal, when you start talking about a villain who thinks he's doing right, that he's making the world a better place. It's the arrogance of the yeah the exactly yeah, but it but it all just fits. And for him to play when he's playing around with drilling holes in the side of Bond's head, Ooh. oh, I, it's so tough to watch. But just the look on 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 it's like a smug arrogance. He's right there in that moment, like, hmm, yep, this is what I'm doing. Okay, interesting. Yep. Let's let's try more. And I will say it is one thing that the new Bonds do very well is that they make you have believable villains where mm-hmm. like Lashif and Casino Royale feels like a desperate sleazy man where he's like he's just he's just trying to get money back and um, he'll do whatever it takes Mads I mean Mads Mikkelsen what another great poor villain portrayal you think of like two if you had to take modern actors and say okay who's a Bond villain those two guys are pretty much like your top oh, two draft picks up there yeah yeah I, they're just so good at what they do yeah, uh, I mean that's I think really that's what makes a lot of the more modern Bonds such great movies is the casting on those is phenomenal. Yeah, oh yeah. You've got Mads Mikkelsen, you've got Javier Bardem, you've got uh, Christoph Waltz. Uh, there's like the trio of my God, the world is going to end, and these guys are going to have a hand in it. It does feel like it leads all up to Spectre. This movie does tie everything up pretty nicely. Where he say where he's like, yeah. Uh, and he goes through all the care of the villains and he's like, yep, they're all pawns for me. It's all been leading to this moment. I've been oh, waiting for you for years. The whole scene with him showing, um, Dr. Oh yeah. I can't Swan. remember. Yeah. Dr. Swan, but he's showing, Dr. he's Swan. showing her, her father getting killed. Yeah. Murdering it and like shooting, committing suicide. Yeah. Oh my God. And Bond just flipping out, trying to stop that. Yeah. Cause again, just, it's just pure evil. Yeah. Because he has that's a, the movie we're on, right? We didn't jump, oh yeah, we're just factor, jump yeah. ahead. Okay, we've just we yeah. Have, I just want to make sure because yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. I thought it well. It does throw a real big hitch in a lot of my bond is a different you know yeah. name. This is Skyfall, just destroy it. But but it's such a good movie. I don't. I wish it was higher on the list. Well, the fun fact respecter is that Radiohead was supposed to perform the song for the title and was rejected because it was 23 seconds shorter than the title card. Oh. Which I'm like, <laughs> I love Radiohead. Really? And the Sam Smith song was kind of okay. So it's, I'm like, yeah. this makes me kind of... And the, I, the song is online. You can hear it. They've released it. It's it's pretty good. It kind of fits uh, more of a more modern rock tone instead of like the old kind of crooning aspect that Sam Smith brings. But yeah. Yeah, it's these two. I think are pretty good Bond films. I would probably put these in the top twelve, both of them for your eyes only yeah. and Spectre. Uh, but now we're officially in the top twelve. Okay, and that is actually where we are going to end part one of this James Bond discussion. I know it's a bit of a cliffhanger, uh, and I know that nobody really likes when movies or TV shows do that, so I do apologize. But next week we will be jumping directly into uh, no pun intended the 12th ranked James Bond because Donald and I did not record an intro for that episode because we did not think that there would need to be a second intro. So 
Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at PodDirect. Please share this with your friends. Uh, If you haven't watched any of these Bond movies, I recommend going to check them out and renting them. Uh, You can definitely tell which ones we like the most. And I look forward to releasing the second part of this episode next week. If you're listening to this not in real time and you're listening to this weeks ahead or months ahead, uh, just go listen to the second episode right now because it's probably right next to this one. Uh, And if you're listening right now, hopefully the suspense and the wait is worth it. But y'all know the drill. As always, be kind and please rewind. Intro song from YouTube Audio Library by DJ Williams. Audio recordings by Clean Feed. Logo created by David Lucas. Purring by Storm.